0: If you have a Bible with you and want to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, that's where we'll be this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, as we continue looking at what Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, has to say to us. Remember what we said last night. We Remember what we said. Every one of us has the option of whether or not we will be a person who leans back and says, I don't need any of this, or someone who leans in and says, if someone wise is speaking, I want to listen To what they have to say. Uh, I want to start the conversation this way this morning. I want you to think about your bedroom back home right now. Now, maybe last night you had a great sleep and you're not thinking of it. Maybe you had a terrible sleep on that mattress and you're thinking about it. But I have a question for the room. I'd like it by a show of hands. Uh, Maybe some noise if you feel enthusiastic about this. When you think of your bedroom back home, who here, when your bedroom is in your mind and when your bedroom is examined by any outside third party, would say that you are a person who keeps a clean bedroom? Hands up. Yeah, tidy people. Okay, okay, I see you out there. We all feel a little less than you, but let me hear some noise, show a hand to the people whose bedrooms are a hot dumpster fire of a mess. Oh, my people, my people. Let me tell you this, let me tell you this. So, um, All growing up, my bedroom was never very clean, and before I was married, my bedroom was never clean. But then I got married, and uh, my wife would like our bedroom to be clean. And so in a combination of me trying to serve and love and care for my wife uh, and her cleaning up, my my bedroom is a very clean place now. Uh, But I'll tell you what's not clean, and it's a little domain that I kind of own. on my, It's my little kingdom, uh, and that's my car, okay? Uh, and so my car is not a clean car. So here's what happens to my car. Uh, I'll clean out my car, and then what will happen is I'll, I'll go through um, a day, and I'll have a water bottle, and I'll finish the water bottle. And do I take the water bottle out of the car and put it in the trash? Of course I don't. I throw in the back seat, and then I keep rolling. I'm eating some food, and I'm done with the wrapper, and I throw in the back seat. And then I drive through McDonald's to get a Diet Coke, large size, a little more expensive than it used to be, but it's my jam. It's what I do. I finish it. Do I throw it away? Of course not. I throw it in the back seat. I pile it up, and I pile it up, and I pile it up, and I start to throw things in there. And then from time to time, I will look at my car, and I will be absolutely, utterly disgusted with myself. I will look at the car and say, how in the world does an adult human being have a car this messy? How do I not do better in life? The real embarrassing thing is when my wife jumps in the car for date night, and she goes, really? Well, you are a slob. What happened to you? And the question of what happened to me is a really interesting one, because it didn't happen all at once. It's not like I walked in one day and took a bunch of trash and poured it in. It was one little decision at a time that started to make my car messy. It started to make it filthy, and it started to make it unpleasant. And here's why I mention this, because whether it's my car or your bedroom, the same is true, the same principle is true for your life. See, almost no one in this room ruins their life one moment in one moment. You ruin it by small little decisions, small little decisions that compound over time. So here's what I think have happened for some of you. I think some of you have come into winter camp and you're living a life, maybe even a double life that no one in this room knows about and it didn't happen all at once. It happened moment after moment after moment after moment. One little choice after another little choice after another little choice after another little choice choice. and over time, your life has become like the backseat of my car. Filled with junk. Not even something you want to look at. Not even something you want to deal with. What I want to do this morning I want to talk to you about that junk in your life. I want to talk to you about the stuff that's accumulated in your heart. And I want you to know that I'm referring to it as junk or the stuff accumulated in your heart. But the Bible has a word for the junk and the stuff that accumulates in your life and in your heart one decision at a time. And the word the Bible uses for that junk is sin. This morning, I want to talk to you about the sin that piles up in your life one decision at a time. And I want to talk to you about how you can be the type of person that clears that out of your heart and life, and actually moves forward through that. And to do that, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to look at Solomon. See, I told you Solomon is a wise man who has a lot to share with you. But I want you to know this. Solomon did not live a perfect life. Solomon did not live a life for his entire life. He was totally devoted to God, and he loved God, and he did everything right for God, and he always walked in holiness and faithfulness to God. I actually want you to see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 today the story of a man who has wandered farther from God than you ever could, who has done everything possible wrong. He finds everything else in this world to run to rather than God himself. This morning, I want you to see the story of a man who has sinned deeply, and I want you to see what he finds out about that as he goes. It says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1. It says, I said to myself, this is Solomon speaking, come now, I will test you with pleasure. To find out what is good. But that also provi- or proved to be meaningless. So, so here's Solomon, and, and you just saw it on the video. Here, here's what's true about Solomon, you need to know this. Solomon is the richest man who ever lived. Like, if you go calculate all of the gold the Bible says that he had, it makes him richer than Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos combined. This man has money that you couldn't dream of. He has all the money in the world, all the resources, all the power. He's a king at the height of the empire. He's the king. He's got money. He's got power. He's got access. And so Solomon decides to run an experiment. And it's an experiment I want to talk to you about this morning. He runs the experiment, and here's the experiment. Would you or could you be happy if you get every pleasure life has to offer? Can you be satisfied? Will you be happy? Will you have a good life if you can get your hands on every pleasure life has to offer? Solomon is going to run the experiment for us. Because the big problem for you is you can't actually get your hands on all the things Solomon can. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough power. You don't have enough wealth. You don't have enough privilege and access. Solomon has all of it. And he runs the experiment for us. And here's what I want you to know. Solomon is going to run the experiment on five things. If you're writing down notes, here's the five things Solomon goes after. And we're gonna walk through the text and I wanna show you this, but here's the five things. Solomon runs an experiment and he tries to understand if these five things can bring him pleasure and make him happy. Number one, amusement. Number two, alcohol. Number three, achievement. Number four, accumulation. Number five, sex. Amusement, alcohol, achievement, accumulation, and sex. And I want you to see Solomon's experiment. Verse two, he says this. It says, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? Later on in verse eight, he's going to say, I acquired for myself male and female singers. Uh, so the first part of his experiment was this. The first word here is amusement. The first thing Solomon thought is, I'm going to make myself happy in life, and I'm going to amuse myself. I'm going to entertain myself. It says he purchased male and female singers, like he brought them in-house. He has comedians and people making him laugh and making him amused at all times. So it's like you pick your favorite comedian that you love to watch or listen to. It's not like he listens to them. He doesn't go to their show. He says, you now live at the palace. You'll perform for me. It's like he looks out at the world and says, who are the funniest people? Bring them in and have them amuse me every night. It's like he looks out at the world and decides, I'm not going to try to get tickets to the Eras tour, even though he can afford them. He says, Taylor Swift, you're performing at the palace every night. And you're going to put on a concert for me and all of my friends, and I'm going to watch, and it's going to be wonderful. You're going to be here. I acquired you. I bought you. I paid it. You come on in and do that. He has all the amusement, all the entertainment. And here's what Solomon finds. It's not enough, he always needs more. You know what the big myth in your life is? The big myth is if you just watch enough shows, just listen to enough music, just scroll enough on your phone, then you'll finally be happy. If you just find the funny thing, if you just find the next thing, if you just find the best thing that ever happened, you'll finally be satisfied. And here's why you know that's not true. Because remember that last show that you loved and it was the best thing ever and you binge watched the whole thing and you watched it all the way through? It ended and then what did you say? What's next? What's next? It's never enough. Solomon has access to all of the entertainment in all of the world, and it's not enough for him. He goes with amusement, and it doesn't work out. So he goes to the second part of his experiment. Verse 3, he says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. Solomon's experiment, the first thing he does is amusement. The second thing he does is alcohol. See, Solomon says, I'm going to go experiment with wine. I'm going to try to embrace folly. You know what embracing folly is code for? He's going to get drunk and see if that's really fun. That's what he goes with. Solomon thinks, okay, uh, amusement didn't work, but maybe if I can drink enough, maybe if I can imbibe enough, maybe if I get to the bottom of that bottle, I'll finally find the happiness I'm looking for. And then here's what's wild about Solomon. So I've worked with high school students for 15 years, uh, and I've watched high school students do foolish things at parties. And most high school parties I've seen high school students make foolish decisions at are 10 10 to 15 guys, maybe 25, 30. I've heard of high school parties of 200, 300 people. You know what Solomon did? The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Kings the rations he had every day, which just means the amount of food and wine he had for everyone. And every scholar who looks at that list is going to give the same estimate that the party Solomon was throwing was for between 15 and 20,000 people every single day. Every single day, Solomon was throwing a rager with alcohol and food for 15 to 20,000 people. He goes, your little party you had, that's nothing compared to what I'm throwing. Solomon has done it all. He has consumed it all. He did it all. And in the end, you know what Solomon finds? It doesn't make him happy. It doesn't satisfy him. Can I just stand here and tell you right now that you will never find happiness at the bottom of a bottle? It cannot happen. It will not happen. You can drink the best stuff. You can drink more than you've ever had before. You can drink with your friends. You can drink alone. It will never, ever satisfy you. I'm not here to stand here and tell you that when you're of age and you're drinking responsibly that alcohol is necessarily sin in the Bible. I'm just telling you you're playing with fire. And I've watched alcohol destroy young people's lives. And it will never satisfy you because it cannot satisfy you. Solomon has run the experiment. He says, I will make myself cheerful with wine. I will embrace folly and drunkenness and it doesn't satisfy him. And then it goes on to the next part of his experiment. Verse four, he says, I undertook great projects. I built for myself and planted. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs and waters groves of flourishing trees. So again, here's Solomon's experiment. He begins with amusement, then he goes to alcohol, and then he goes to our third one, which is achievement. Like at some point, he's throwing parties and he's waking up hungover. And at some point, Solomon goes, "Enough of this. I got to make something of my life. Enough of this. I'm going to try to do something meaningful." So he builds gardens and parks and houses and monuments. He's building entire cities. And he thinks to himself, if I could build something grand in this world. I could make a name for myself. I could do something productive. I can build something beautiful in this world. He thinks if I could just build enough huge things. And if you go to Israel today, you will see some of the things Solomon created. These massive infrastructure projects. These huge temples and palaces he was able to create. And you know what Solomon finds at the end of it? That didn't make him happy either. Like Solomon built more than you'll ever build. He created more than you'll ever build. He made massive, incredible things. And it didn't satisfy the deepest desires of his soul. He was still unhappy. So he goes on to the next idea. Here's the next idea. He says, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born into my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. And I acquired male and female singers. Solomon's experiment, part four, starts with amusement and then alcohol. He goes to achievement and then to accumulation, to getting more stuff, to being more wealthy. Solomon says, I want to be more wealthy. I want to have more gold. I want to have more silver. At one point in the scriptures, it talks about there was so much gold during the time of Solomon that silver was like nothing, Silver was like rocks on the ground. No one cared for it because there was so much gold flowing through the kingdom. He is so rich. He is so wealthy. He has accumulated in today's world hundreds of billions of dollars for himself. But you know what he finds out at the end? That doesn't make him happy either. Becoming really wealthy doesn't make him happy. This frustrates him. This frustrates him. Because so many of us think, if I just got a little more wealthy, that would make me happy. See, here's what I know of you. Some of you have grown up in houses where you feel poor. You don't have enough in your home. And so in your mind, what you think to yourself is, if I can just become an adult and make a lot of money and get really rich, then I'll be happy. Or others of you are growing up in houses where you do have money. Your parents have resources and wealth. And so you think to yourself, if I could just amplify that and make more wealth in my lifetime, then I'll be happy. And here's what I want you to know. There is no dollar account in your bank account that could possibly satisfy your soul. It will never happen. Some of the richest people I know, some of the richest people in this world are some of the most miserable people in the world. It cannot make you happy. And here's Solomon who is richer than any of the rich people we have in our world today and he still isn't satisfied. So he runs the final play of his experiment. Verse eight says, and a harem as well. The delights of the man's heart. Solomon's experiment goes this way. He starts with amusement. Then he goes to alcohol. Then he goes to achievement and then accumulation. And the final experiment he runs is sex. Sex. It says he has a harem. And harem means a group of women who are willing to have sex with Solomon at any time. The scriptures tell us that Solomon had 300 wives. He had 700 concubines. A concubine is a woman who exists in the palace for the sole purpose of having sex with the king. And you might think to yourself, that's gross. That's disgusting. That that can't be biblical. That can't be right. You're right. He's sinning. He's rebelling against God in this. He is choosing to have a 1,000 women that he wants to sleep with. And he thinks to himself, if I have a 1,000 women I can have sex with, then I'll finally be satisfied. And you know the shocking thing? Here's what he finds out. Doesn't make him happy. It does not make him happy. Can I just speak to you, young man, who thinks that if you could just have sex, or if that could be part of your life, or if you could just be with her, if this could just happen, then you'll finally be happy. I want you to know that sex is a good gift from God, but it will never satisfy your soul. It was not built to do that. It was not made to do that. You start having sex with someone outside of marriage, and it will never satisfy you. It will never calm your soul. You will never find what you're actually looking for. Young lady, can I speak to you? So some of you have this idea, if I could just be with him and then then maybe we'd get married and we'd have that perfect picture where, where it's mom and dad and kids and we have a happy family. And if I could just get to that place, then I'll finally be happy. And here's what I want you to know on the evidence of your life. You know this without me saying it. That will not satisfy you. In and of itself, you getting married and having children will not satisfy your soul. And the reason I know this is because you and I know dozens, if not hundreds of people who are married with children and they're miserable. Listen to me. Sex is a good, wonderful gift from God. But here's what Solomon shows us. You can have a thousand times as much sex as anyone else in this world, and it will not satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. So here's what Solomon does for us, and it's a gift. He runs the experiment. And the experiment is if I get everything I ever wanted, will I finally be happy? He tries amusement, making himself laugh and being entertained. He tries alcohol, going deep to the bottom of the bottle, thinking that if he gets drunk enough, he'll be happy. He tries achievement, thinking if I could just get good grades and a good job and really build up my resume and do the great things, then I'll be happy. He tries accumulation, where he just says, I'll get wealthy, I'll get rich, I'll be the richest person in the world. And he tries sex, and all five things fail him. Because all five of those things were never meant to satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. It goes on in verse 9, it says, I became far greater than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In other words, he goes, I was the greatest. I was the biggest, I was the strongest, I was the richest, I was the most powerful, the most famous, I was the best of the best in the world. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me, which is a nice little note that says Solomon wasn't just out of control, he was deliberately running an experiment this entire time. And the verse 10, it says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for my toil. Listen, I want you to know this is not the story of a man who tried to get pleasure in life but couldn't find it. This is not the story of Solomon was really trying to find all the best things in life but just couldn't get his hands on them. This is the story of a man who found every pleasure he ever looked for and found it to be empty. Found it to be meaningless. He got everything you want Like, don't miss this right now. Everything you think is going to make you happy right now. Everything you desire, everything you fantasize after, everything you scroll on your phone, go, if I could just have that car or that house or that kind of life, if I could just have that, everything you've ever wanted, Solomon got. And he goes, it didn't make me happy. It wasn't enough for me. And then here's what he says in verse 11, and this will be where we hang out for the rest of the morning. It says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon says, I went and got it all. I tried to find satisfaction and happiness. I tried to find my meaning and purpose in all these things, accumulation and achievement, amusement and sex and alcohol and everything out there. I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. Then I want you, if you have a Bible, to underline these words. Nothing was gained under the sun. Underline that. Circle that. Highlight that. Those words are the centerpiece of what Solomon is trying to explain to you. He's trying to explain to you that all of these things you run after to make yourself happy, to satisfy your soul outside of God, you will gain nothing. It adds nothing to your life. It is not a gain. It is not a positive. It is not a win for you. Because that's what sin does in our life. When I turn to something or someone else other than God to be satisfied in this world, when I go, forget you, God, I'm going my own way, doing my own thing, the Bible says this is sin. I'm trying to be satisfied by the things of this world, by the creation, rather than the creator. And sin never adds to your life. It only takes from you. And this is the message this morning. This is the message of wisdom Solomon has to offer us. And again, what wise people do when a wise person speaks is they lean in. But you know what foolish people think? God is saying here through Solomon, these things will never make you happy. This is not actually going to help you. Alcohol and boys and girls and sex and amusement and power and all these things, this is never going to make you happy. And you know what some of you do? You look to the God of the universe. You go, Thank you very much, God. But I know better. In fact, if you're writing notes, I want you to write those three words down I know better. That is the heartbeat of sin. The heartbeat of sin is looking at the creator God of the universe who tells you how to live and tells you how to lock and tells you how to function. And you say to him, I know better. It's like this, so my three-year-old boy, um, he's kind of stopped doing this for the most part, but when he was real young, we would do bath time with him and his siblings every night. We'd put them in the bath, we'd get them all washed off, and then we'd let them play with their toys in the bath for a little bit. And so sometimes they'd be doing bath time. My wife and I would be in the hallway talking through things, doing laundry, working on things, and we'd be checking in on the kids in the bath. And from time to time, I would walk into the bathroom, and I would see my three children in the bath, and my two daughters were playing like little angels like they are, and my son would look at me and he would take a big old cup of water. And the big rule in the bathtub is the water is not allowed to leave the bathtub. We don't want it all over the floor. But that was not his temptation. See, what he would do in the bathtub, he would take a big old cup of water. He would bring it to his lips. He would look me in the eye and take a big old swig of bath water. Yeah, that's disgusting. That is foul. That is gross. And I want you to know that when Noah did this, when he started drinking bathwater, I didn't just stand there and go, Well, you do you. Okay. I mean, you just do what you want. No, what did I do? I said, Son, don't drink the bathwater. Don't do that. Now, why did I tell him not to drink the bathwater? Is it because I hate him? Is it because I just really hate him and I want to rob him of all the fun in life? No, it's because he's a tiny little human being and he doesn't know any better, but I do. And you got to imagine in his little two-year-old brain, he's thinking to himself, Dad's all down on the bathwater, but I know better than he does. That's the good stuff out there, right? But that's not the case. And you know that, and I know that, but you know what you do? We do the same thing to God. We look at the God of the universe who says, hey, hey, don't run after those things that won't satisfy you. And we go, I know better. You know what we do? The Bible says this. The Bible says let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The Bible says that vulgarity, swear words, racist, sexist language have no place in your mouth. And yet some of you, even here at camp, in your cabin last night, used incredibly vulgar language. Vulgar, foul, disgusting language. You look at the God of the universe who says don't do that and go, God, I know better. I got this. I've even had Christians say to me, God knows my heart. I can use whatever words I want. And here's what God says. I know your heart, and you are not to use whatever words you want. God knows better in your life. Like alcohol is the thing for some of you. For others of you, it's drugs. And so it's it's whatever the newest thing is, whatever thing you think is going to make you happy, whatever thing is going to be there. And God says be of total sober-mindedness. Like actually using drugs and alcohol to put you into a drunken or inebriated state is sin before a holy God. And you know what we do? We go, God... I know better. I know you designed me, created me, but whatever. Forget you, God. I'm doing my own thing. I know better. You know what the scriptures say? The scriptures, every time, and especially in the New Testament, when it lists sin, do you know that in addition to like sexual immorality and lying and murder and all of these things, it throws in this little word gossip? And yet, some of us think gossip is harmless. Some of us think gossip isn't harming anyone. Some of us think gossip is no big deal. Or even worse, in Christian circles, we we couch it as a prayer request. Like, I don't want to gossip, but can you pray for my friend? Can you pray for her? Let me tell you all of the things going on in her life, right? And we gossip about our friends, and we think it's no big deal. We look at God, and we go, we know better. I'm going to go ahead and gossip. Or like the scriptures say, to flee sexual immorality. Uh, And yet, for some of you, you think pornography is no big deal in your life. You say it's not hurting anyone which, by the way, is complete nonsense. It's hurting a lot of people, especially the women in the industry. But even if it wasn't, God says to flee from it. And for some of you, you just go, it's no big deal, God, I know better. See, here's what God knows that you don't know. Here's what God knows that sometimes you don't live as if it's true, that sin adds nothing to your life. Sin does nothing but rob from your life. Sin takes from you. It is a thief, it is a liar, it is a robber, it is an enslaver. It adds nothing to your life. It only takes away from your life. And I know this is hard to believe, and the reason it's hard to believe is because what happens is sin always feels good in the moment. In the moment, it always feels like a great thing, but it is actually robbing from you and taking from you. Here's how I like to think about sin. I love to think about sin like I think about my favorite breakfast item at McDonald's. See, I don't often go to McDonald's for breakfast, but sometimes I'm desperate, and I roll through the double arches, and I roll through, and I roll up to the window, and I say, may I please have a McGriddle? Now let me tell you something about McGriddles. McGriddles are some of the greatest, the peak of human civilization. They figure out how to put the sandwich inside the bread, and they infuse the bread with syrup, and you eat it. And when it hits your lips, you just have this explosion of joy. It's the most amazing thing. You eat the McGriddle, and you're like, this is the peak of civilization. Take me to heaven, Lord. But let me tell you what happens every time I eat a McGriddle. I am happy for the first five minutes. After about seven minutes, I'm not sure I'm happy. After about 10 minutes, I despair life itself. (laughs) See, here's the thing about the McGriddle. The McGriddle always tastes good going down, but it always ruins me later. The same thing is true for your sin. I need you to know sin always seems nice at the front end, but it is always a disaster later. It enslaves you. It robs from you. It takes from you. Listen, I want to stand here and speak to those of you who are Christians, and I don't assume that's all of you, but I want you to know, Christian, child of God, On the authority of the word of God, I'm going to stand here and tell you that your sin cannot rob from you your salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that your salvation is secure in Jesus, not because of your behavior. I need you to know your sin cannot rob from you your salvation, but write this down. My sin will rob from me my joy. My sin will rob from me my joy. You can have a right relationship with God and yet be walking in sin in such a way that is robbing you of the joy of your salvation. That's why in Psalm chapter 51, David, who is Solomon's father, prays these words. He doesn't say, Lord, restore unto me my salvation because that is secure in his relationship with God. He says in Psalm 51, 12, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. In other words, he doesn't need his salvation restored because that's secure with God. He needs his joy restored because it's been robbed from him in his sin. And that's what some of you need this morning. If you've been feeling distant from God if you've been feeling cold toward him, if you've been feeling like God is far away and you don't have a great relationship with him right now, maybe you used to, but you don't. Listen, you don't need your salvation restored. That was already sealed, signed, and delivered in Jesus. What you need is your joy restored. And this morning, I want to give you the two ways you restore your joy. The two words that will restore to you the joy of your salvation. Here's the two words, write them down. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Here's what confession is. To confess is to acknowledge reality. To confess is not, sometimes confession gets mixed up with like in the Catholic church or different places. There's like a confessional you go into and you speak to a priest. That's a whole different deal. Confessing simply means I'm saying what is already true. To confess is to acknowledge reality. It's like this. I'm the type of person that when I start to get a little cough or a little sniffle going on, I always pretend I'm not sick until I can't anymore. I'm always like, it's the wind. That's why I'm coughing. I got the sniffles. I'm like sneezing all over the place. I'm like, I don't know. I think I ate something weird. I, I don't know. And my wife is always like, you're sick. Take medicine. I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm fine. And then like three or four days later, I'm like, I think... Um, I think I might be sick. (laughs) And it's like, I finally confessed reality. That's what confession is. To confess is to acknowledge reality. And if you want God to restore unto you the joy of your salvation, it begins with you acknowledging reality because reality is always your friend. It is always good to acknowledge what's true. You pretending everything is good with your walk with Jesus, when everything is not good with your walk with Jesus, will never bring you the joy of your salvation. Acknowledging reality is always the first step. And here's the reality according to the scriptures. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter seven twenty says this. He says, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. This is confession. Confession is there's no one who's right, no one who's lived righteously, no one who's perfect before God. Here's how the New Testament says it. Romans three twenty three. for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, What Solomon wants us to recognize, what the New Testament wants us to recognize, is it begins with confessing that I have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. See, sin does two things in your life. Sin robs you of your joy, and it robs God of his glory that he deserves from your life. See, sin is not just you breaking an arbitrary rule. Sin is you breaking relationship with the creator God who made you. Like, here's the way I want to put it to you um, this morning. So when I got married in 2013, uh, my wife and I did the thing that most people, when they get married, do. We exchanged rings, and she gave me this ring. Now, this ring is a beautiful gift from my wife, and I love it. I wear it every day. I rarely take it off. This is a ring I keep on my finger. It's a gift she gave to me, and it's a gift that is meant to remind me of my wife and the covenant and the vows I made before her. But I want you to imagine something goes sideways in my life, and I start getting really into my ring. Like I start walking around, not with a cell phone in hand, but what I'm doing is I'm just looking at this ring. And I'm like, this is a cool ring. And everywhere I go, I'm like, can I tell you about my ring right now? Like if I got up last night and said, hi, my name's Brian Howard. Uh, I'm a teaching pastor in Southern California. Let me tell you about my ring. You'd be like, this is kind of strange. I want you to imagine something starts to happen with my ring where I go home, and my wife goes, honey, how was your day? I'm like, I don't have time to speak to you right now. I'm hanging out with my ring And I'm hanging out with the ring, and I like the ring, and I'm talking about the ring. I'm thinking about the ring. She's like, can we talk a little? The kids are down. We finally have a moment. And I'm like, no. Like, I want to talk to my ring. I do a little golem. My precious, right? Like, I'm here talking about my ring, and I'm super into my ring. Here's what would happen. The gift my wife had given me has now become a distraction from my wife itself. This is what happens when I obsess with my ring rather than my wife. The same thing happens with your sin, God gives you good, wonderful things in this world. But when you obsess over those things more than God himself, that has become a distraction. And here's the question. If I'm obsessing over my ring and I'm this golem type, am I going to be happy? Of course not. But here's the more important question. Is my wife going to be honored? Of course not. So I'm miserable and my wife is robbed of glory. Same thing happens with God. Sin makes you miserable. It robs God of his glory. So what do we want to be? We want to be a people who recognize and confess this reality. We want to confess the reality of our sin, that God is the one who should have our attention, our affection, but we often give it to something else, and we give it to someone else. We want to acknowledge that we haven't just broken some arbitrary rules, we have broken our relationship with God. And because we have broken our relationship with God, that is something we need to confess before him and repent so we might restore it. The first thing you need to do if you want to restore the joy of your salvation is confess. Acknowledge reality, say it out loud. You're about to go into a cabin time in just a few minutes. This is when you go into cabin time, this is your time. Confess it, say it out loud. And can I encourage you on something? Don't use vague words when specific words will do. If you're struggling with pornography, please don't say like, "Yeah, oh, lust is a problem sometimes. No, say it. I go into my room and I look at porn. I look at my phone, I look at my computer, I do this, I do that. You've been using drugs, alcohol. Don't just say, "Yeah." Oh, sometimes I party with my friends. Now say it out loud. Say what it actually is. Be specific. Say it out loud. Acknowledge reality. It's already reality. All you have to do is say it. If you want the joy of your relationship, Lord, let's go back to Psalm 51. If you want the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation, it begins with you being honest and confessing reality, saying it out loud to the people in your cabin. And then the second thing you do to restore the joy of your salvation, the first is confession. The second, what's the word? Repentance. Repentance. Here's what repentance is. Repentance isn't remorse. It isn't feeling bad. It isn't you walking in this direction and being like, I just feel terrible about my sin. I feel awful about it. You know what repentance is? The picture in the New Testament is this. You're walking in this direction in your sin. You plant your foot in the ground. You turn and you run back to the God whose arms are wide open for you. That's repentance. That's what you're invited to do. To repent is to turn, it is to change. In the New Testament, the word is metanoia. It means to change your mind, to go in an entirely different direction. If you're writing notes, here's the seven words of repentance. Repentance is very simply this God is right and I am wrong. God is right and I am wrong. It is to change your mind and see the world in a different kind of way that God is the right one and I am the wrong one. And if you want to confess and repent, to confess is to acknowledge reality and repent is to say my reality is about to change. I'm going back to God. I'm leaving and forsaking my sin because it does nothing for me and it breaks my relationship with the Lord. That is what it means to confess and repent and that's what I want you to do in this cabin time. See, I mentioned my car at the very beginning of the sermon this morning. And uh, last week, I had one of those moments where I was disgusted with myself and I had to acknowledge reality. I am a messy person in my car. I don't want to be. I don't like that. I actually think it's kind of gross. It's kind of immature in me. I don't like this, but I had to acknowledge that this is what had happened. But it's not enough for me to just acknowledge and be like, I have a messy car. Now what I have to do? I had to change. You know what I did? I went out to my car with a little trash bag or a couple of trash bags, started filling it up with all the trash. And then, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. I walked into my house and there's my wife and kids and I've got these bags full of trash. And my wife looks at me like, what is wrong with you? I was like, yeah, this is what I've done to my car. And I had to go clean it out and it was embarrassing and it felt icky and it felt kind of gross. But then, you know what was crazy? The next time I got into my car, it felt free. I felt light. It felt right. The same thing will happen drag your sin into the light, confess it, repent of it, deal with it, wrestle with it during cabin time right now. It's going to feel messy. It might feel embarrassing. It might not feel like your favorite thing in the world, but something wonderful will happen when you confess, when you repent. The Lord will restore unto you the joy of your salvation, and it is always worth it to experience the joy that God has for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to once again listen to the words of Solomon and to understand the good things he has to say to us. Father, I pray for this cabin time that's coming up and I pray that it would be a real and vulnerable and messy and honest time of confession and repentance. I pray for the young woman, the young man right now who feels like they're not gonna do it. They're scared, they don't wanna look uncool, they wanna look like they got it all together. God, I pray that you would blow their hearts up right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would break through their hardened hearts and their pride. That they would confess, that they would repent, and that they would find joy on the other side of that. So God, would you make a spirit of joy true in this camp today? Would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation and create a right and willing spirit within us? We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who came to rescue us from that sin. We pray in Christ's name and all God's people said.